Welcome back to Frame FM. I'm David Honig, your host with my co-host, Max Schultz. Today, we have Kinsey Clark, the Senior Director of Alt. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Kinsey, I heard you speak uh, today. We're at the Support Driven Conference, which is just a wonderful venue over here. And you were talking about supports and what you do. But before we get there, could you explain, you know, like who, what you do, who you work for, and, and what are some of the things that really motivate you? Yeah, I currently work on a startup called Bolt. I run our support function. I was brought in to run our support function, and I've just increased my portfolio recently to include education, which is really a documentation team. And I'm really passionate about customer-facing teams that are technical. So I just could not see myself in a like consumer-focused startup with big call centers and stuff like that. I got to work with people who are technical because I'm technical. I like being technical. I have a like solving technical problems. So that's, I think, a key passion point for me is to, to make sure that I'm in a technical place, B2B, 100%. And I want to start with something. First of all, thank you for your service. 28 years in the United States Army. It's wonderful when I was reading your bio because – I started really doing a little more research and speaking to you last week, at least texting you, was fascinating, your passion, you know, and your drive, you know, for results and your, you know, what you spoke about this morning. And I have to ask you, how did serving our country with all the training prepare you for the business world and how you are today? I think they went hand in hand. I mean, like some of my startup experience really informed how I led and built teams in the military. And I was really fortunate to have a kind of career detour is probably the wrong word, but I, I took an off ramp from the conventional armory. Yeah. And I went to a branch of service that's called civil affairs and it's an unconventional organization. And it's very, sometimes being passionate in the military can be a problem <laughs> and it's not a problem in some organizations. And so like I learned how to kind of channel that passion, but I had a friction in the conventional military with people who we're not passionate about results. We're not passionate about getting things done. They were much more institutionally focused. And I don't love the institution. I love getting shit done, you know, right. and that's what I want to do. So it's it was great to find a community of people who are really focused on making things happen. And I think that's part of startup ethos. And that's so those two really mixed well. And I, a lot of people don't under like they don't like how could a startup be the same as military? It's like, yeah, it is poorly resourced organization sometimes <laughs> trying to solve difficult problems a lot of interesting personalities, a lot of founder mentality sometimes. So I, I think they, they work so much better than someone would think. And I would think that change is great in any organization. Yes. Status quo is cancer to anyone. Exactly. Right? Right. We, we're all great at that. But when, you, when you're serving the country, change is probably more challenging because it has to go to a lot of people. And sometimes you don't see the results that you want versus a startup where you can make change immediately. But um, combat has a way of like accelerating your ability to, to make changes, right? And so like, I was fortunate to be in an organization that was very focused on outcomes. And so we adapted very well and quickly. I was really blessed to have been in that organization for seven years, the first of the 184th Infantry, Aerosol Pua. That's kind of like my start in the military and just a lot of like-minded, get shit done people. And then again, working in environments that are constantly changing, do force change. But when I would end up in headquarters organizations or like, it just, you're, you want to poke your eyes out with a pencil. It's just like terrible. I just got to get decision makers to get decision makers to get decision makers on board. It just moves so slow. Well, it's just tough, right? Because if you're thinking about like, when do people make change? 
people don't make change until the pain of doing nothing is for them the pain of change. And when you're talking to a decision maker, they might not be experiencing the pain that everybody working for them is dealing with. You know, they're like, I don't know, it's done. So who cares? Yeah. And when, you, you know, when you're not running a business, right, at the end of the day, Congress allocates money to the, the arms, the, the armed services, and there's very little connection to outcomes and in funding. There is some, but very little that informs decisions. Right. And like you said, there's sometimes there's an existential crisis of like, oh, my God, like if we don't do something, that's what drives change. But change is hard to come by. So that's kind of as if not a startup then, right? Yeah, I mean, some startups are better at change than others because some people really lock in, right? Those are the ones that don't pivot. Like, sure. and there's a lot of examples of like roadkill startups that never pivoted. They got stuck. Like, yeah, great idea. But to me, what a lot of startups don't understand is the hardest part of a startup isn't the tech. It's getting people to give you money on a repeatable basis. <laughs> and, like, and, good, and also the people, yeah. you know, the culture, you know, everything in my experience within startups is well, getting the money is one thing, right? So but getting money from customers, yeah. like, like from that's the hardest part of a business. Like it's it's easy to build software, but it's hard to get it's hard to get people to give you money over and over again yeah, on yeah. a yearly, monthly, daily basis. And and a lot of founders don't get that. A lot of like startup people don't get like it's a business. That's hard. It's that's, what it, the business is the relationship. You have to continue to earn that trust over and over and over that's again what with the shifting yeah. expectation of the customer base. Right? And that's what changes yeah. in the environment is the business, right? Like 2021 looks a lot different than 2022. Yeah. A lot of people didn't change their business approach. They didn't need to change their tech, man. They just got to change pricing. You've got to change how you're organized. And people don't think about those factors. John, I was just going to just like, have you heard we're all supposed to do more with less now? Yeah, capital efficient. How has that changed in, in the support roles and your KPIs and how you communicate to the leaders? Has anything changed since the work from home? And then the second part of this question, has anything changed over the past you know, six or so months when uh, the uncertainty with the economy, um, you know, going on today, has anything changed in regards to how you're managing support and the KPIs that you're looking at? I'd say the, the answer to the second question is not really. The answer to the course question is a lot. I resisted a lot of temptation and push to hire people because I think that's what got people in trouble. Like capital efficiency, like, my, like, why aren't we always prioritizing that? But, you know, people, founders get excited, investors get excited, they start stepping on the gas and you got to hire 10 million people to scale. And then that's when you have like these bad outcomes, right? Of like mm -hmm. having to let a ton of people go. Um, unfortunately, I didn't do that. So I didn't have to make radical adjustments there. But I am having different conversations with my finance team right now. And a lot of this is kind of, we were talking about that, yeah. about the costing and trying to understand the cost of the business. And I think those are interesting conversations. And the cool thing is I've got to a place of trust. Me and the finance team are in a trust bubble where I recognize they're not trying to use the information to chop my team. Right. I recognize they're just trying to understand what the environment looks like. You know, and so many finance guys are driving like this, but they're the ones that hands are on the wheel because the gas in the car is money. And if the guys who are controlling the gas don't know where you're going... Yeah, I imagine other teams out there, if they're listening, this is great advice. If you're not communicating with your, your C-level, your CFOs, don't run away because sometimes they make a knee-jerk you know, decision, and that's cutting you know people rather than, you know. I mean, you think about their backgrounds. Like, my wife was in accounting, and she audited, like, all kinds of different companies. Because they hire, I mean, accounting firms and finance firms, they hire smart people, and they go in and learn a business, and then they come up with, like, their financial analysis of it. So those guys are trained to like quickly evaluate a business and then make some recommendations. But 
they're not often as deep as they think they are. So, and that's where they run into trouble. Do you find yourself trying to like meet them where they are or are you doing a lot of education? I go to them okay. and I speak in their language. Okay. That's a great thing because earlier I was hearing you speak at the Support Driven Conference here in Philadelphia and you, you mentioned something that stuck out to me. You said, stop being data driven. You know, stop using that term. Start using data informed. And that led to a conversation that you are you articulating in regards to communicating up, which I think, you know, and we've been speaking about this, it's a big gap right now in regards to communicating up on your value, what your team is doing and such. Could you talk about that? You know, it's, it's about like, we're in a business. Like, we're here to make money. We're here to get access. Like, the one guy, Lance, said, right, like, you don't found a startup to like, you know, it's not a charity. Right. And you have investors, so you've got to get a return on investment. And if you don't understand that language, I just feel like, what are you doing here? And I think support leaders, they're like, no one understands me. No one understands like right. the value we bring. It's like, no, no, you're not telling people the value you bring. Like, that's not their job. That's your right. job. You get stuck in a lot of the acronym, AHT. And then the relationship yeah. stuff. I mean, I think like relationships come from good business, not the other way around. I think people like, that's something I try to train yeah, people on. It's like aligned interests and like, you have good relationships with people who do good things for you. At the end of the day, like I just tell, so maybe people like, let's build a relationship and then we'll have a, they don't have good business with that team. It's like, no, let's have good business with that team. And then the relationships yeah. will happen. And I think we tend to index on relationships. We over index on relationships, the importance of them, because it's the job we do, right? We're creating these, super quick relationships to solve someone's problem and give them help. But that is not how you can Well, I think it's like where people get stuck because they start thinking that everybody's data-driven. So we're all looking at the same data. All of our data agrees. So why are we having any acrimony? And the truth is, you know, data is super selective. You can tell any story you want. And so figuring out how to be the right kind of informed. Well, and, and also treating like internal stakeholders like their customers, like you have to explain things to them. Like this isn't like, I'm not explaining things with finance. We're getting to a shared understanding. Yeah. Like I got to understand them. They got to understand us in a very different way than I would with the customer. And so I think a lot of people take the playbook out of their like, be nice with customers, be empathetic. Like that's good. But how do you interact with, with your peers and the people that are putting gas in your tank? Like that's. I mean, that as the weight of the interactions from a volume standpoint, you deal with, you know, for a lot of folks in support. You deal with 30 customers for every time you have one internal conversation with your product. And I just always get frustrated when people, no one understands what we do. Like, well, that's your problem. <laughs> like, it's their opportunity too. Well, it is. It is their opportunity. But like, you can't be passive about that. You know, no. you got to be active. You've got to manager, manager. move to that position and change the way people think about you because they're not going to do it on their own. That's right. I mean, collaboration is the key of any successful business and having a great culture. And that's with respect. But you... You have to earn respect, right? Exactly. You know, and you're saying, you're, and I always yeah, see this exactly. to people, take the offense, never play defense. Yes. Right? And I mean, like, let people know what you're doing. You know, build relationships. That's how relationships occur, exactly. you know, rather than be invisible. Yeah, exactly. Because um, I think you have to go on offense internally. Like, that was my motto two companies ago was, like, support goes on offense. We don't play defense. Yeah. So we had, like, sports memes of, like, you know, hockey goalkeepers and yeah. goalkeepers, yeah. of which I'm a goalkeeper. So I was like, but, like, we're not going to be those guys. Like, we're going to put goals in the net Soccer internally. Yeah. Don't understand hockey at all. Other than you have to get this Soccer disc in a net. <laughs> yeah. I have that kind of coordinate. What are some of the, what are, today, what are some of the most important metrics that you're looking at for your team to deem success or improvement? My big one is, so we have our SLA. What I use to drive the team is we call them performance standards. 
So we're not obligated to do them, but I basically sit, tell the team like, hey, we need to respond to tickets within an hour or two hours or whatever it is. And it's it's somewhat arbitrary, but it is it gets us the CSAT we're looking for. Right. Because at the end of the day, all the CSAT I get is how timely my team is. So I know I have a dial and I know like, hey, if we want to slow our responses, my CSAT's going to go down, but maybe that's less people. So I'm, I'm kind of managing those levers. So that, that so first yeah. response time and CSAT to me are... The follow-up to that is... How do you tackle where it's out of your control? So your team has to collaborate with someone else, whether it's the product team internally or tech team. How do you make sure that they're going the offense going offense and and really try to get them to own their part of the problem? So, you know, an on-hold status in a bug tracking system is critical because that's where there's like, hey, we're no longer managing this. So that's a key signal in our system. I have struggled historically getting engineering teams to kind of agree to use the same systems because a lot of times like they're trying to have gray areas with what they do. Everybody wants to see why. Yeah. So, but to me, the way I manage that is I just, I really try to put this full ownership on ownership is like first, second and last thing that I preach, which is like, once we're done with this, this is their problem. And then I got to hold those leaders accountable and that's how I do it. So do you have an equivalent for like the performance standards you have for your team? Do you have their trains like that? We do. We have SLOs that are actually agreed upon, like in more of a internal agreement. We negotiated what those times look like. So yeah, we came up with some and, you know, they come back and they being engineering, they're like, ah, these are a little tough. You guys agreed to them. I mean, those are your problems, not mine. You guys got to figure this out. But I mean, if you guys have to be the, like the front line of the customer, they're not dealing with that in most cases, no. right? So like, so right. Are you're, you know, you're accountable to the customer on a one-to-one basis. And I will say like, I have never been in an organization where I've had a problem with like truly urgent issues. Like mm-hmm. most engineering teams are going to rally, like P0 systems are down. Like it's hard to find. I mean, I've never worked with a team that didn't take that seriously. Now, sometimes there's some litigation that takes place because you'll be like, the engineers will be like, I'm not sure if this is a really important issue. And I'm like, no, it kind of is. But once we get it into important issue land, like they fix it. It's honestly, the hardest issues are the ones that aren't beating you up. It's the little like, hey, can we get this fixed? It's maybe this button's the wrong color, but it's super frustrating to a customer. Terrible example. But like those ones are the ones that just crush you because they're they're really not critical enough to get the response. But from a customer perspective, you want to get those fixed too. Right. And like the long-term effect on the customer experience because it's all the place. Yeah. So we, we talk about data informs. How important to you is AI? And and what are you most excited and maybe even least excited about? I mean, you guys heard me. I mean, I and I did give you guys props because thank you, Max, for really helping me understand this problem so much more clearly. But I don't think you can be doing this business right now without AI helping you understand your feedback. I really don't. Because like in the military, we have analysts. And that was kind of like when I had the, the, for me, the moment of understanding was thinking back to places where I, I could go and like there's like the SCIF, the secure, the secure compartmentalized information facility, top secret place where all the analysts are hanging out and getting data. And I go back and there's like this whole army of analysts and their maps and systems and all kinds of cool stuff. I'm like, I'm never going to get this in the startup world. I'll be lucky if I get one dude to help me part-time if only there was a technology that could help me evaluate large amounts of data and come up with insights, I just think the fact is analysis has been happening in our industry since it started. 
just has been done poorly. Well, you said it in the thing. We're talking about like everybody has a VOC. You have a voice of the customer, whether or not you're listening yeah. to it. Yeah. It's like a different conversation. Recency bias, right? Support people like, oh, our product's terrible. And well, of course, you think it's terrible. Also, nobody's reaching out to support. They're having a great day, too, right? Like this right, is right, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. a feedback funnel. Right. Right. You're not calling yeah. up support just to thank them. Yeah, like, exactly. Hey, the service is great. Yeah. I just wanted to yeah. take the time this out and hang is a, Product is amazing. Like, you know, it's funny because even when my wife you know, calls a support from a, a retail or something, be extra nice. I know you're frustrated, but they're getting beat up, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. It's true. It's the human. It's the so I think to me, AI gives you the opportunity to look past those biases. So you're not counting on me asking an agent like, hey, everything's going Oh, This is eating us alive. Like, you know, and then I find out like, okay, the last three tickets you had yeah. were eating you alive. But like, if I look at a month or a year arc, like this is like a drop in the bucket for an issue. So I think AI is, again, man, it just eliminates so many of these logical fouls. It goes back to also what I believe, and I'm so confident about this with AI, is that it not only helps with the culture, it allows you to be more productive, yep. but it makes a happy customer too. It's, it's these insights, it's this data informed, but acting on it. And then seeing what the result is. And as you said earlier today, you know, it's communicating that up with a story and what's happening and keeping people informed internally of what's happening. And I imagine that, and I know I see it every day, that AI is actually is doing that like on steroids. No, exactly. I think we live in such great times with this. Yeah. I mean, when you can do like, I think there's a naturalistic take on all of customer where it's like, you know, you want to be, you want to be the advocates for the customer. Yeah. And if you can be data informed customer advocacy, like, it makes it doable and not like you're kind of like ice skating uphill. I mean, to me, the other opportunity for AI, and I'm really trying to get people on my team to see this, is like, this is coming whether you like it or not. And this is our opportunity as agents to get an understanding of a cool technology and potentially own it. Because someone, you got to have someone like move the AI levers. Like it just doesn't like start spitting out. Again, it's not, it's data informed, not driven. So like there's an awesome opportunity for a lot of like a, a generation of support people to get into a technology and really learn how to use this. And the, to me, again, the 80%, if I can have one person drive frame or drive whatever I've chosen for my AI platform, I need someone to do that. Like, and I, I don't have time. Like, I don't have time to do that stuff and to recalibrate it, to do all the learning. Because one thing I have learned is AI is not as simple as vendors would like you to think it is. We, we talked about like the first time, it's like, was our first guy. I was like, AI is not match. No, I like, know. I mean, GPT using it seems super fun, but when you want something yeah. like meaningful yeah. out of it, oh, it's no. like, okay, well, like, no. we need to coach. It is not magic. And like the learning models and all that stuff, I've come up to speed on that. I'm like, this is kind of a limitation. Like, you got to manage this. Yeah. Like everything else, it's roll up your sleeves. It's not, uh, yeah. not going to do everything for you. But also with AI and especially now with generative AI, everything's going so fast. And People in knee jerk reacting. Oh, we had a video. I have this. You have to make sure that you stay close to your values as an organization, no, not change that, but again, enhance the experience that your employees are having and your, more importantly, your customers are having to allow them to all be productive and happy. So, um, that being said, um, well, thank you so much for coming here today. Oh, thank you. I, I always like to end the show. It's kind of news, not every time. <laughs> Tell us something about you that most people don't know. Can't use the horse thing anymore. <laughs> well, no, that's not even my horse. That's my wife's horse. <laughs> like, I don't own that horse. I speak five or six languages. Okay. Wow. I speak Danish and I can warm up in French, German, and Italian. And Spanish. I'm not going to do I need to warm up a little bit, but like I'm uh, strongly affiliated with the country of Denmark. I have family there that I lived with in high school. And so 
I go back there whenever I can in my day. Yeah. It's, it's pretty solid. Beautiful so, country. I've been there a number of times in Hollywood and horse. Yeah. Are you uh, are you a music fan? I am. I DJ. Um, okay, so tell me about. Yeah, I'm just kind of revisiting uh, the DJ world after I mean, I DJed in college, like kind of for a living to make money, and then you know tech, military, all that stuff, and I'm getting back into it. So I'm starting to use some of the again, kind of AI. There's so much AI in the D- DJ world right now that's like yeah. blowing it up in some really interesting ways. Turntables of collective. Favorite music. Favorite bands. Or I don't have one. I I just yeah I love all music. Here's a fun fact. We said we spoke about it earlier. We're at the Worldwide Cafe, you know, yeah, uh, with, it's iconic. And in this room, which is backstage, sat Adele, Coldplay, Lizzo, Ben Folds, you know, John Legend, the Woman Ears. Yeah, yeah. A lot of just great talent is in this room. Thank you very much. It's been a, a pleasure working out, um, talking to you today and meeting you. And uh, yeah, thank we'll you. See you in the next couple of days. Thanks. 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 Thanks.